0: Thank you, Jesus. In Manchester, we give each other a high five and then we're seated. So give your neighbor a high five and then you can go ahead and be seated today. So, so good to be here with you. Uh, We love our church. We love our pastors. Uh, We're so blessed to be able to be part of what God is doing uh, around the world. Uh, At this point, we're there in Manchester. It's probably the the highlight of, I don't know if you can call a calling a career, but it's the highlight of our career uh, to be able to be there. And uh, I uh, thank God for that. But I also thank Pastor Richard and Sister Nancy because they're the vehicle that God uses to entrust us to be able to do something like that. So thank you very, very much. Praise God. And uh, I'm grateful that they come over to help us on a regular basis. So whenever you hear that Uh, there in Manchester. Remember, they're just not traveling. They're helping and they're assisting and they're making sure we're on track. Praise God. So uh, good to be here this morning, enjoying the weather and all of the uh, absurd amounts of food that we've been consuming. Well, I've been consuming uh, But it's been a real joy. Uh, Today, we're excited uh, to be able to present the Word of God to you. Uh, I had selected this message uh, a number of weeks back and kind of felt like this is what uh, God kind of wanted me to do. But, you know, as every pastor knows, you get a little bit unsure as to exact right message. But after last night's uh, tremendous victory by Tyson Fury over Dante Wilder... Uh, I think this is exactly the message that uh, we need today. If you're not familiar with boxing, Tyson Fury is the great boxer from Withenshaw, Greater Manchester, which is... We have people from Withenshaw that live there, so we're proud of him with all of his flaws. We're proud of him, and so uh, we're just glad finally, man, a Brit won. Praise God. So... Uh, we're encouraged and I should say this: man, when Reese beat uh, Anthony Joshua a while back, Pastor Richard was texting me at three in the morning. Viva la raza, you know. Like, I'm asleep, man. <laughs> Praise God. Open your Bibles up to the book of Nehemiah, chapter four. Nehemiah chapter four. Title of our message this morning is "Knocked Down, But Not Out." Knocked down, but not out. If you're going to serve God with a full heart, if you're going to go beyond religiosity and maintain relationship with God and desire to serve him in any capacity above the basics, I would like to tell you that you will, uh, as you know already, uh, endure and have to go through much battles. There's onslaught of the enemy that each one of us will face. And it never comes in the form of, well, hey, tomorrow night we're going to have a fight. Tomorrow night it's going to be you against the devil. Hey, this trial, it's going to happen next week on Thursday or next year in 2021. Never comes like it's out of the blue. It's shocking. You don't expect it. You almost can't even comprehend it. It makes you reel back. And you sit there and go, what's going on? And we tend to lose our minds when we have trials of this nature. We tend to forget that this is part of what it means to be a Christian. And the reality is, is that we will be knocked down. And what is it that knocks us down? There's a word that we all know about, and I want to talk about this morning. And that word is discouragement. It is a word that we all experience, and yet it's a word that can devastate us so very quickly. Even the most seasoned warriors, if they allow this to creep into their spirit, into their families, into their marriage, into their ministry, before you know it, man, you're, 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 you're not enjoying Christianity anymore. Instead of enjoying the blessings of God, you're looking at everything as, as hardship and difficulties. And I'd like to tell you, New Harvest Norwalk, you guys are warriors. We look towards you from the uh, UK to what God's doing here for for, uh, exampleship and encouragement and uh, the way it should be done, the way Christ-alike people live. So as warriors, you cannot afford the luxury of discouragement. I'm not saying that you are not going to receive it. I'm saying you must deal with it. And that's my hope in this message today is to be able to help you with it today. Nehemiah in this fourth chapter is going through some difficult times. God has already given him the vision of what he was supposed to do. He had already had some kind of miraculous help in going to the government officials to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And he explained what he wanted and they gave him what he needed. And it was a Holy Ghost thing, man. It was an exciting thing that things were going to happen the way that God had put in his heart, but like all building projects, you face opposition, face difficulties, try to build your marriage, you face difficulties, try to build your ministry, you face difficulties, try to get a better job and progress and believe God for greater things, difficulties come in, and that's where Nehemiah was. We'll be reading out of the passage, you just want to hold your finger there for a minute, on Nehemiah chapter 4, but the first thing I'd like to explain to you is this little thing about discouragement. It is one of Satan's greatest weapons, as you know. It is one of those weapons that he uses. Some of you have heard this fable. It's happened. Many people have talked about it. I've seen it in internet memes before, but you've heard this fable where the Satan was having a sale, and he had all of his tools out there that he was selling And he had envy and hate and malice, and all the ones that were there, and they all had price tags on. And then they came to the one weapon of discouragement, and it had a high, high price on it. And the people who were perusing his wares asked him, Why is that one so high? And he says, Because this works on every level and every kind of Christian. And that is true that all of us face discouragement, and it can assault us, and it can stop us, and it can make us mo- lose out and miss out on the blessings of God. And as we read through the Bible, you read that good people of old became discouraged. These, these powerful men of faith like Moses and David and Elijah, they went through difficult times even the entire tribe of Judah went through a difficult season where they were feeling this uh, discouragement that was there. So my point is, is that good people can even become discouraged. You are good people. Just because you're going through a patch of difficulty doesn't mean that you're not good. It means you're gods. And when you're gods, uh, you're going to go through some difficult times. Uh, can you say Amen. The problem with discouragement is that it stifles God's work sometimes. It can stop the Lord's work in your life. It can't stop ultimately the plan of God, but it can stop what God's doing in you and through you. And this is what we read in the book of Nehemiah chapter 4, the first three verses here. Let's take a look at it. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 1 says, now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angered and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, it will break down their stone wall. See, that wants you to see the words that are being used here. These are the words that sometimes people will say to you. And if it's not people, sometimes the spirit of the enemy will say it to you. Try to discourage you and call you feeble. Like you don't have what it takes to uh, overcome this battle. You don't have what it takes to build your marriage or build your ministry or deal with these circumstances, these rough patches that you're going through. Begins to say, will they restore it for themselves? Will they be able to sacrifice? Questions whether or not you'll be able to complete it. I know as a pastor, as a ministry worker, I've gone through those difficulties myself. God, can I really do this? I know, this time, you know we went into Manchester feeling strong, feeling ready, feeling excited, ready to go, but there was always that nagging thing like, "Can you do it?" You're old now, and those people are young. Yeah, I, I, I know it's a little bit of a chuckle, but until you're, until you're in it, till you begin to look at yourself, I'm taking selfies with the guys, and I'm like the old guy of the crowd. And I'm trying to build up a young crowd. Now I feel pretty young. Matter of fact, I climbed the highest mountain in Wales and climbed the highest mountain in England known as the Roof of England. Isn't that right, young lady? That's right. (laughs) Nevertheless, I'm older. Nevertheless, I felt that little thing inside of me, and those are things that you feel in your situation, in your specific ways, where it becomes difficult, it becomes hard. Then he questions, will they revive the stones out of the heap of rubbish and burn ones at that? Begins to question whether or not the building materials that you have around you will help you. See, this is how Satan's strategy begins to stifle the work of God in your life, in mine, in your church, and in mine. See, discouragement also does this, and this is really critical here. It begins to destroy unity. And if there is one thing that the church of Jesus needs now more than ever is a unified front against the devil. If there is one thing you need as a church uh, is to work together to accomplish the will of God. If there is one thing that the enemy assaults marriages, it's this attitude of division trying to get you to not be unified. Because when you're unified, you're a powerful force as a fellowship the bigger picture when we in manchester are unified with what is going on in russia in west africa and the united states uh, we can on take on the devil with all that we have yeah. on the other hand <laughs> discouragement it says ah who cares man they're just over there we don't even know them ah we we've had problems in our home for God knows how long. It's just finally coming to pass now. Discouragement destroys unity. And see, the problem with that is that discouragement is also contagious. If you bring discouragement into your ministry, into your home, into your church, before you know it, everybody else is bummed out. Before you know it, you not only are the one feeling a little little down, You've also just kind of spilled over onto your kids and onto your spouse and onto those that you're supposed to be leading and helping and working alongside. Sometimes I have to just keep my mouth shut. I look to, which is very difficult for me, by the way. Uh, I look to Gracie for a lot of help, a lot of moral support. I'm the face of the ministry. You know, I'm the guy that gets up and smiles and uh, pontificates and act like he knows everything. But reality is that I go home and go, is it okay? Are we all right? I need your help. <laughs> Maybe I'm going through this. What should I do? You know, I do all these things. And sometimes I have to say, I can't do that because it's going to spill over onto her. And sometimes we just have to say, look it, I'm going to ride this one out. God's going to help me through. So let me give you some causes of discouragement. Because as I said before, it seems as if discouragement just comes out of nowhere. I mean, you've got to look at Nehemiah here in our text. He's a, a, a big guy. He's a cupbearer to the king. That meant that he was head of security to this king. He was a government official. And he was able to go and uh, get these government agencies to help him. He was able to orchestrate the workers that he needed to begin to take on this very uh, difficult project. And yet, all of a sudden, just some guys, Tobias, Sambalot, who are these people? Sometimes it's just out of nowhere, or so it seems. So today, if we can tear back the cover and show you some things that causes discouragement, maybe you can identify it. And just like stab a knife through its heart and say, no, not not through his heart or her heart, but through the heart of discouragement. Can you say amen? Number one, loss of strength. Loss of strength. Look at verse 10 of our text. Verse 10, it says... In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. See, sometimes we're just worn out. And I know we can talk about this in a physical way, and that is Totally true. Sometimes we're worn out physically, and a, a good nap will help. You know, a day off work will sometimes build us up. But I, I just think it's overrated in our world to talk about how uh, we're just worn out physically. I, I, I've got a couple of guys, and if you're listening from Manchester, I'm talking to you. Yeah, that, that, this one's you. Uh, they, they, how are you doing? Tired. I'm like, you're in perpetual tired mode, right? And that is just a British thing. That's a universal thing. There are some people who are universally tired, uh, perpetually tired. Too many L's together with R's. It's hard sometimes. But I'm talking more so about being spiritually or emotionally drained, going through too much drama over and over again, Every time it does not nothing is simplified any longer. Everything has to become a major issue. Uh, And when you allow that to infiltrate your heart and soul, uh, it causes you to feel worn down. Because in the beginning, everyone is zealed up for the work. Everyone is zealed up to do the work. Everyone's like, sure, I'll sign up. But then as the work progresses, it's not as zealous as it was anymore. You know, for you might not know this, but Gracie and I and our family in the '90s, went to Liverpool, England, to start and pioneer a church. It was absolutely glorious. We flew over there to go check out the city. It was exciting. Uh, Pastor Richard was, you know, spry like he is, and like, you can do it. It's going to be this and that. We were excited. We come back, conference. We get launched out. We're like, yes, we're going to take the city. We flew the family over there, found our digs, got everything going on there, and it was exciting. But this going back this next time, 25 years later, man, there was no fanfare no one even knew we were going except for us. <laughs> when we got there, they're like, oh, it's you again. You know, and sometimes as time goes on, you can start to feel that, and the zeal is gone, and that can cause discouragement. You say, well, I'm supposed to be amped up for this, but I don't feel it anymore. People, when they get married, they're so excited. They're twitter-pated with each other. You know, look at her. Look at him. Oh, he's so handsome. Oh, she's so beautiful. And after a while, you know, a few pounds, a few kids, a few trials, a few this, a few that. And before you know it, it's like, it's you again. My point being is that you can lose strength for the battle. See, sometimes you get weighed down by, by looking at trials, the whole picture, And saying, I've got to do this big job to overcome the trials. There's an old saying that says, Life is hard by the yard, but it's a cinch by the inch. And that means if you can just start taking care of business one step at a time, you will begin to see success. This loss of strength is a real issue. But it wasn't merely just loss of strength that was the problem, it was also that they had lost vision, that they had lost vision. Fellowships like ours thrive on vision. We're doing what we did today because we had a vision and we bought into the fellowship's vision. Uh, and more specifically, we wanted to support Pastor Richard and Nancy's vision. It was just part of who we are. Vision was important. Without vision, we couldn't do it because we're not that skilled. <laughs> we, didn't have, you know, Some of these guys that are out in the field, I've met them. They want to come meet and pick my brain, you know. And I'm like listening to them going, wow, you're way more skilled than I am. I should be picking your brain. I don't have skills, but I do have vision. And with vision, that motivates. Vision causes us to excel and to accomplish. Can you say amen? The problem with Nehemiah's workers is that they had lost the vision of the wall being rebuilt. The thing that they set out to do made them feel as if they could no longer do that. That's what happens, you know. When you first start having problems in like a, a home or a, a, a job setting or an organization setting, it, it seems like we, we, we can overcome, overcome this. We can accomplish this. We can do it. It's possible. But then as time goes on, you begin to say, man, can we? Can we really do this? Is it Really possible to accomplish this? And you begin to lose vision for it. These people here in Nehemiah's time and the workers that he had doing the ministry work of his project were walking no longer by faith, but they were now walking by sight. This is all they could see: half-built walls. All they could see was people mocking and telling them, You can't do it. Who do you think you are? And these are the voices that go through our heads as we're battling discouragement, the loss of vision. It becomes a loss of vision that becomes a loss of confidence. And once you lose confidence, I got to give you a secret here. Gracie, one of her greatest gifts is to tell me, you can do this. You can do this. See, see, she's a leader in her own right. I, I guess I'm like airing family business here, but She's a leader in her own right. When I met her, she was already a leader in her office where she worked to oversaw her whole thing that she was doing there. And she could very well lead in many ways, but she often, uh, not often, most of the time, takes a back seat to, to, to prop me up, to make sure I can do what I'm doing, you know. And she says, one of her words is, you can do this. You need confidence in this. When that confidence goes away, discouragement sets in. And that's the same thing you have to do. Maybe you don't have a Gracie in your life. Sorry, there's only one. And she's mine. If I die, you still can't have her because we made a pact. This is it. She gets one, and it's me. But you can find someone else that is your confident maker. Because... A loss of vision can also bring a loss of confidence. They were saying, we are not able to build this wall. Of course they were. They'd already built it halfway. Of course they could build the wall. They already knew what to do. Of course they could build the wall. They had a supreme leader who was able to understand God was with them from start to finish. But when you lose confidence because you've lost vision, now it becomes very easy to say, I can't do this. Of course you can do it. You just don't feel like you can do this. Your marriage has lots of hope for the future. Your ministry can grow leaps and bounds. This building here is not able to contain what God can do. But Satan's strategy is to say no vision. And now you have no confidence and say we're not able to build this wall. There was also a loss of security that was going on. You know, if you don't feel secure, it's hard to stay encouraged. Can I tell every husband here, every man who wants to one day be married, you need to learn how to provide security for your loved ones. You need to be able to make your wife feel secure. I tell you one thing, I knew when this opportunity came to go to England, I wasn't sure whether Gracie would actually do it this time. She had already always said, yes, even Pastor Richard said, you need to talk to Gracie. And I said, I know, and in my mind I'm saying, oh God, (laughs) because she's done all this so many times, and I really wondered if she was able to do it, but the reason that she did do it and the reason she has sacrificed so much is because she feels secure in me, and whenever I do anything that makes her feel less than secure, I've let her down. Same thing with my kids, same thing with my church. Sometimes your church or your ministry here will be going through difficult seasons, And if you're just there as the leader going, well, guys, so-and-so left, and, you know, this group's not here, and no one wants to show up on time, but thank God you're here, that doesn't give any security. That makes people feel insecure. You have to be able to say, look, man, we've got four of the most powerful people in this room right here, and we can do the will of God because our God is with us in all seasons of life. But a loss of security can cause you to feel discouragement. So what's the cure? What's the cures? It's not just one. There's, there's many. And there's some that we're going to lay out for you here this morning as we're winding down. But we see in verse 13. Look with me in uh, Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 13. So after he had gotten all this words from these naysayers after the people of God were feeling discouraged because of real-life situations that were going on. What was Nehemiah's response? His response was this in verse 13. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. What did he do? He armed them. He armed them. That may sound, you know, something that we all say, trite. It might be a a, a cliche that we are, are warriors and we need to do this, but you know, sometimes it's amazing even in a fight, you know, people will be in a fight, a physical fight, and instead of grabbing a weapon, they just kind of cower. Instead of picking something up and, and, and trying to defend and trying to overtake, you know, it's amazing what you can do if you pick up a weapon. It's amazing the damage you can inf- inflict upon the enemy once you arm yourself. It's powerful when you think about it. One person with one weapon can do so much damage to the opposition. What am I saying to you today? One person with one weapon from God can overcome discouragement like you've never seen before. Sometimes we're discouraged because we're not arming ourselves. We're not reading this word and applying it to our lives. We're not involved in the things where we should be involved in. We're allowing discouragement to dictate the dynamics of our life. Yeah, you ought to tweet that one. Discouragement to dictate the dynamics of our life instead of allowing the word of God to dictate the path forward. (laughs) <laughs> he armed them. But he didn't just stop there. He assured his people. Look at verse 14 of our text here. Verse 14, I, uh, Nehemiah chapter 4. It says, And I looked and arose, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. I like how he did it, and I think it's uh, significant, the wording that's used here. It, not once did he say, oh, you know, this guy, he meant that. He said that. He didn't address them. <clears throat> In other words, he, said, he ignored them and said, I want you to focus on the positive. I want you to focus on the plan. I want you to know that the Lord is with you. Remember, sometimes we need to use our memories for good things, See, you know how husbands and wives can be sometimes. You can remember things from way gone by. You can't remember to bring home milk for dinner, but you can remember what he said or what she said or what little thing. It's shocking how good the memory can be on these negative things. It's so shocking it makes me angry. <laughs> but the truth is sometimes we have to use our minds to remember things that God has said. Remember messages that have, God has entrenched in our hearts. Remember why you're there and what you're doing. He assured these people that God was with them, that God can do it. Brother, your marriage may be in disarray. You've got to assure your wife that God is with you. And if she mocks you, you ignore that. You continue on. You continue on. Ladies, I know you're the sometimes the stalwarts of the family and the home, but even if things are not going well with your kids or, or, or with your life, uh, you can just say, God is with me and God is going to help me. And there are many women in the Bible that God came through in desperate situations. Uh, remember what the Lord has done. Assure yourself, just like Nehemiah assured his people. He not only did that, he aroused his people he roused his people sometimes we need to be inspired sometimes we need to have self inspiration self motivation You know, I'm not alone in Manchester. I have a very good church, and I have a a lot of good people there that love God, and uh, I'm excited to be able to be there. But honestly, you know, when you're uh, uh, an American anywhere other than America, you feel like a fish out of water. I can try to dress like a Brit, I know British words, I know how to function in British society, but no matter what it comes down to, I'm always going to be American Tom, (laughs) and there's no way of getting around that, and so sometimes I feel, it's not always accurate, but I feel like you do alone, And I don't have people to say, it's okay. We don't care that you're an American. We don't care that you're this way. We love you. That's ridiculous. No one's going to do that for me, is there? Are they? And I can go to Grace and tap on her one more time. Hey, can you encourage me? Can you build me up? It's not going to work. Sometimes I need to arouse myself. I say, I can do this. I'm going to do this. Here's my list of things to accomplish one at a time. You know, and it's amazing in times of discouragement. If you'll begin to list your accomplishments of all the things that you've done and all the things that you have accomplished, it's amazing. I, I need to move on, but I just want to say this, that, that it was a, uh, about a year ago that it wasn't a big discouraging time. It was a typical discouragement. I was saying we are having all these building issues, which is like a constant problem in our, our city there, that the building problems and stuff. Uh, and so I made a list of all the things that we had done uh, w- since we had been there, all of the ministries that had been improved and what we felt like we had accomplished And and at the moment, the building was giving me a lot of grief, so I put down all the things that we had done to improve on the building. When I got done, I showed it to our associate pastor. I said, look at all the things we've done. Even he was shocked. And I was amazed at how much we had accomplished. I had to arouse myself. You might want to do that as well. In your situation, in your circumstance, in your marriage, your home, your family. Not only did he aroused him, but he assembled these people. He assembled the people. In verse 19 and 20, he said, hey, we're spread out, but we're going to have a trumpet. And when that trumpet sounds, I want you to come to this rallying point. And I want you to know today, brothers and sisters, that we need to be able to assemble ourselves together in a unified manner. Make sure that you're doing your part to stay stuck together with that one that might be discouraged Because few people come into your church, into your home, into your job, and go, you know what? I'm discouraged. Hey, bro, how are you doing? Discouraged. You never hear that. No one's going to say that. We're way too proud most of the time. But a lot of people are discouraged. Here in an auditorium this size, it's quite possible that 50 to 60% of the people sitting here today are discouraged. You might not know it. They're going to be, God bless you, and walk out. But my point being is that when we assemble ourselves together, here's what Hebrews 10 and verse 25, 23, 24, and 25 says. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, unswervingly. Even in times of discouragement, we hold on to the hope. Even in times of despondency and dejection, we hold on to the hope of the gospel even if all things are crumbling around you and everything is going to hell in a handbasket, we say to ourselves, uh, I hold unswervingly to the hope of the gospel. And why? Why do we do that? For he who promised is faithful. God is faithful. You're not faithful. I'm not faithful. Your church might let you down. The reality is people will let you down. The government might not come through. But the reality is God will come through because he who promises things is faithful. And then verse 24 gives us our marching orders. Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider. Use some brain power. Take some time to think on some good things. Work out an action plan, a battle plan of how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. See, that's the problem. We come to church going, Lord, I want to receive We come to church saying, Lord, bless me. Sometimes we come to church just saying, I need a miracle. And none of those things are wrong in and of themselves, but they're just a small slice of the pie. This passage is telling us, let us come together. Let us assemble ourselves so we can spur one another on to good works. That is our job. We need to squash discouragement in other people's lives. And all of you veterans of the faith out there, you all know this is true that when you squash discouragement in someone else's life, it comes back on you. And you start feeling encouraged. You start feeling strengthened. Before you know it, you want to kick some demonic tail. You know, it's just how it works. And then, verse 25, Hebrews 10 23, we read, 24, 25 not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I'm not nitpicking on YouTube or any online type of ministry because they have their place and they have value, but there's some things that you can never get from a YouTube teaching. There's some things that you can never get from a podcast. You can go to newharvestuk.com and sign up for our podcast if you like to, but I want to tell you... See, you got to always know how to plug yourself, man. You know what I mean? I don't want you guys to forget us over there. But the truth is you can only get so much from that. That can only give you information. It can only give you something that can help you. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's good, and sometimes we need that. But I want to tell you, there's something about rubbing shoulder to shoulder with a brother or sister in the Lord. There's something about being in the same place with people you love, people you ought to love, people that don't love you. There's something about being in that mix, in that atmosphere. Some people, oh, it's drama. It's too much drama. I'm like, we need drama, man. Drama is what keeps us alive. Drama is what keeps us going. Drama is why Jesus died. (laughs) I know that's probably theologically unsound, but it's semi-true today. Not giving up meeting together, some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another instead of allowing the devil to take courage out of you. Let's put courage in you. Let's put courage in you. (laughs) I might have told this story before, but I remember it was many years. Gracie and I had been together maybe a year, you know, and it was like Bonnie and Clyde, you know, just the way we were, just... Dirty Mary and Crazy Larry, man. That's how it was. If there's an old movie, if you don't know what that is, but we were, and I remember we were in East Los Angeles, and we were there with a bunch of people, and there was a guy that started picking on me, and wanted to fight. In those days, I was like super thin, super skinny, super spaced out, and this guy was coming up to me. I'm thinking, like, man, I'm gonna die right now. This, that, my obituary is gonna be: White boy dies in East Los. You know, that's what's gonna be there. I'm there, and, and Gracie's there, you know, she's like excited about the scenario, you know, and she's going, oh, come on, man, you know? and so I'm like, all right, all right, man, let's just take care of this and see what happens, and all of a sudden, this guy comes up, and this girl pops out of nowhere to kind of stop him, Gracie comes out of from the back, man, just come out and clocks her, man, I mean, boom, and then she hits the ground. Man, that was inspiring, man. I said, whoa, girl, man. And I was like, boom, boom, boom. Before you knew it, it was a big war. <laughs> I wasn't discouraged at all. I was completely encouraged. It's amazing what you can do to encourage someone when you're around other and you say, "Well, I've already been doing. It. I've been doing that for years. I'm, I'm an old timer here in the church." Well, praise God for you. But the Bible says here, and all the more as you see the day approaching. It needs to increase. How can you encourage someone in a greater way and in a greater degree? Finding new ways. Be creative. Be creative. If you keep doing the same thing over and over, hey, God bless you. If you tell your wife or your husband, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, before you know it, it's like, that's just not good enough. Right? I have to think of cool ways to say it. It's easy for me because I like words, so I'm like this wordsmith. I have no problem looking up words in a thesaurus and finding synonyms that mean things, and I tell her things, and she doesn't know what I'm saying, but I just tell her, like, hey. But my point being is that we need to be creative in our encouragement with each other. Different ways and different factions, different uh, 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 opportunities. He brought them together and told them, look it, don't forget the work. Don't forget the work that's here. This project that God put in my heart a while back, this project that God has kind of facilitated up to this point, has not gone by the wayside because we've got these clowns up here telling us some discouraging words. He refocused their attention on things that were important. And my desire today would get you to refocus on what's important. I don't know why I've mentioned marriage so many times this morning. It wasn't my plan, but marriage is of utmost importance. It's one of the, it is the hardest relationship you'll ever have. But on the other hand, it is so, so important to the world. And it doesn't seem important. And Satan can make it seem unimportant. Call us feeble and weak, and it's, it, your marriage is so weak a fox could break it down. But it's not. You have to refocus your attention on the work. And the work that Nehemiah was proposing to the people who were discouraged was one of unity and serving together. Serving is an overused word in the Christian world, but it's an absolutely vital word. We must serve. We're constantly working. We're getting to ready today. we were kind of getting ready to finish our trip here, and we had to, like, pack up and get out of our uh, hotel, and uh, Grace is like, she's doing what Grace does. She's beautiful, man but she needs a little extra sometimes right here. And I'm like, Grace, we gotta go. Grace, we gotta go. I know, I know. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. And I'm saying, Grace, I gotta go to work because this is my work. <laughs> I'm gonna go to work. And that's the way we need to view our ministry. It's always going to work. Whether you're a full-time minister or not, matters not. We're going to work, and that causes us to focus on what God is doing. Today, I pray that you're not discouraged. It's wonderful if you're feeling high and on top, and I'm happy for you. Try to bottle it and can it and keep it if you can, but possibly you are discouraged, and almost certainly at one point you will be discouraged. How will you battle it? Remembering, first of all, the causes of it, the causes of it loss of strength, loss of vision, loss of security. Remember the cure. Remember what it takes. Arm yourself. Assure yourself. Arouse yourself. Assemble yourselves. If you can do those things, you can beat the devil every single time. Can you say amen? Let's give the Lord a big hand clap today.